This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Alliance supporting all 32 counties through the Alliance Leagues. A grain of rice, a grain of rice is going to tip the scale. Just remember that, then. There's a small bit of a needle there. Now, come on, Mayo, you've got to get Andy Moran into the game. Our mission was to show that we're no longer the whipping boys of Munster. I know I don't sound like Mike Quirk, but he is across the table, and I am Tony Lean, I think, welcoming you to the football show with Alliance. Joining myself and Mike today is an All-Ireland winning manager from 10 years ago. should be very easy, if you're of a Cork persuasion, to figure out that we have Conor Cunahan in the studio. Conor, what is your actual grand title that you have now in Cork as a director of football, is it? No, I think it's coordinator of the five-year plan. And you get paid, obviously, by the number of letters in that. By, by the number of trophies. <laughs> um, no, it's welcome, everybody, to the football show. As I said, um, Mike is... He came back into studio today purely, he says, on the basis that Leash's game against Cavan was postponed yesterday. So he feels more like, just for this Sunday... Unburdened. Yeah, unburdened by the managerial duties. I tell you, if we're a bit late with this podcast, it's because he's been on the phone... For the last 45 minutes, Conor Coonan was laughing at him, kind of saying, like, welcome to intra-county management. Let's just, just to open it up with a couple of um, confusing and vexed issues from the weekend. Mike, uh, I was texting back and forth with a couple of Galway people last night about the black card for their goalkeeper in Letterkenny. First off, by the way, put a notch on the wall, I would say, result of the weekend um, for Galway mm-hmm. I know I was in Tralee as I'm, I don't know were you in Tralee the previous Saturday night no, no we you weren't can't. like Galway were extremely good and extremely unlucky I would actually say the better side lost in Tralee yeah. so I thought to myself and I, I know Parag Joyce and John Divley because I was chatting to them afterwards like felt it was a massive massive what's the word disappointment like that they hadn't picked up the two points because they knew they were going yeah. to Letterkenny but to go up there yesterday to be down seven to come back and win was super, but they had a, a situation, didn't they, when their keeper, Conor Gleeson, yeah, took down someone, was black carded, and this has led now to a whole thing, which in fairness, when the black card was introduced and the sin bin, people were saying there is going to be an issue, 
Can you explain it as simply as possible? Uh, well, yeah, the go- Conor Gleeson got black carded for a tackle that was probably a black card foul, and then and then that situation arises where you either replace your goalkeeper with your your number two goalkeeper, and that means you got to take off an outfield player, which is what they did yesterday. Or else you have the option of putting an outfield guy into goals for the ten minutes while while uh, while your keeper's in the bin. But I think that was the first one we've seen, you know, of the goalkeeper getting a black card, but. Like in general, I, I, again, I said it last time. I think the black card, this, this, this amendment to the rule for the sin bin, I think it's a, it's a much better penalty for teams that are, are being, you know, that, that, that kind of cynical fouling that, that we want to try and get out of the game. But uh, it was just very interesting to see the way the boys played it out yesterday. And I mean, like you mentioned, Connor, if, if you do put an outfield guy into the goals for the ten minutes, now your big issue, especially in this modern game, is, is the kickouts. And there isn't too many fellas that can kick out the ball in Galway, maybe as well as Gleeson can. <coughs> Yeah, no, I don't think you have any choice but to put in a, the second keeper because that kick out is, is just just so important. And as you said, using two outfield players that early it limits your options big time. And we've seen a number of games over the weekend where management's actually put on players and they were caught ending up maybe with 14 and that sort of thing. So, you know, you have to kind of hold it as much as you can, you know. The issue, Connor, that I'm thinking in my head is it, it looks to me that it comes down to two options. In that situation, option A is you rely on your number two keeper for the rest of the game. You leave him in there, you obviously. And option B is you use two subs to get your number one keeper back in there. So, I mean, your point is very relevant. Are you even in that 10 minutes looking at, okay, kick-out strategy is going to be the key here. Do we get our number one back or are we comfortable with our number two keeper? And that's probably the key question, how comfortable they are with their number two. Well, that's it. But like you're hoping, you know, at that level, that your number two is, is reasonably good, and you're hoping to, you know, that he will perform for whatever period of time. But it's going to be the tenor or the the longer period. But I suppose you know all of this. I mean, I don't see this as the biggest issue in terms of the new rules because, look, I don't envisage that incident type of thing happening as often. I think there's far bigger issues now in relation to rule changes, like whereby the referee has been again overloaded, and I would say. In my view, I don't know, was he ever consulted in terms of these rule changes? Because if you were the key person in this, you should have been part of the process. To me, that doesn't seem to have happened. The other thing with the rule changes is there was no trial period as such. Absolutely ridiculous that we cannot learn from this. I mean, we've plenty of opportunity, whether it's McGrath Cup or Burn Cup or whatever. You know, this is just crazy. We're at a semi-professional level, right or wrong, and we're down now to this we shouldn't be talking about it all there'll always be issues in terms of referees and rules but let's give them a fair chance Colm Collins the Clare manager was sitting in that seat last week and he was going absolutely ape over the advance mark but right. made the same point Mike just in terms of the load on referees and you know at this time I mean there was so much happened over the weekend relating to refereeing you had the extra time in Dublin you had the black card you had the umpire situation above in Tyrone like, Mike, do you genuinely think we are getting to a point now where you've got to actually examine and lighten the load on refs? No, I, I thought we were at that point a couple of years ago. And I, I, I like I, I was saying that, you know, it was probably a time for two referees to start refereeing into county football because for one person to try and do everything is, is just, it's it's near impossible to do it with any great accuracy. And it's probably a credit to some of the referees that we have that we don't have complete messes in some games because... It's so much they have to cater for now. And, and, and these new sections of rules, even just the timing for the black cards, and I know they've got four officials that are helping out with that stuff, but it's just a massive of, of, of operations that they have to do. And, and, uh, and I, th- I think, you know, even going back just very briefly to the black card and, and the goalkeeper, Alliance in Galway, 
I like I like that rule first of all. I know it's a bigger load on the referees, but I like it because now straight away that's a penalty for Galway, and Galway have to go and adapt to that because they have had somebody who's after pulling somebody down deliberately, and it's a and it's a, a much harsher penalty. In general, I really think that's a good that's going to be a good thing long term for the association. Now, how it's managed with the referees and all that is a is a different question, but that's one amendment that I think is 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 probably better than than the situation that was there last year, where Galway just bring in their second choice keeper, their first guy is off, and there's no real penalty to them. Well, like, okay, so let's tease it out, Connor. I mean, just tease out the, the loads on the referees. What are the immediate easy things do you feel we can take off? The biggest, the biggest thing for me is the clock. Time. Like, that's, like, it's there in ladies' football. Why are we sitting with our heads in the sand? Like, you know, someone needs to come out and tell me why that can't be done. Like, you know, yeah. it just makes no sense. Takes a whole pile of pressure off. Like, we've seen this weekend this new rule for 10 minutes on the black card. Now, if Mike Quirk has a player sent off next week above against Cavan or whatever, do you mean to tell me Mike Quirk is going to be telling his, 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 uh, he has, uh, the other team has a, uh, he has a player sent off? This guy's going to be sitting down taking 30, 40 seconds at a time. Yeah. That's it. It's wide open for it. People should have seen that coming. Like. But that's the actual black card clock, isn't it? You were actually yeah. just talking well, about... I'm ta- well, I'm talking about board clocks, but I see that, as a, 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 that has added now. And like, you know, we've seen issues, you know, in terms of fellas getting sent off and what have you. Like, our whole culture in GA in terms of rules and the application of them and our total conduct towards the referee. I mean, if you look at rugby, you can have guys playing Gaelic football or hurling and they're there Sunday morning, they're down at a GA match and they're abusing a ref. They go into the, uh, the local rugby field, play on the same field and it's yes sir, no sir. Mm. Lads, we have a problem and we need to tackle it. Yeah, no, and look, and I think they've tried to, even with those black cards, you're supposed to be able to give a guy a black card now if he's given you abuse. And if he's, but the problem is they need to start throwing him out. They need to start giving the fellas. And, and very quickly, fellas will learn that if I'm sitting down or I'm getting a red or a black card because I'm abusing a referee or whoever, fellas will stop doing it eventually if it's costing them and, 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 and costing their team and costing their county and, and then costing them whatever else comes along with that. So uh, I, I think those those rules are there, but they're not they're not being maybe as enforced as, as they should be because, like you mentioned, maybe there's a culture of we let fellas away with a little bit of it, you know? Yeah. But the clock, you mentioned the clock. I think the clock is, is a glaring thing that is so easy. And that's been passed twice already, like at, at, at Congress, where where we, we, it's okay to give the time to, to the fourth official mm. or to somebody else that, that will manage the time for you and that will everybody will know exactly what's to play and we can, we can go from there. Like the issue in Dublin was... Like he, what was it? Was it six minutes that was announced, and it went to nine or Correct. whatever? But in in that six minutes, you know, to your point, uh, Connor, there was fellas then that were milking the clock within that six minutes to say, okay, we've got six now. Let's 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 go with an injury. Let's go with a bang in our head. Let's go with whatever and start a little bit of a scuffle and let's burn another minute and a half out of that. But to be fair to the referee, he probably allocated the time that was appropriate given the amount of substitutions and different stoppages in the six minutes. But then when you see the situation that Andy McEntee and the Meads boys had yesterday where they felt they didn't get any of that additional time on top of the what was supposed to be allotted, you know, that's the confusion. That's the hassling that people have with it. Yeah, there's, I mean, you mentioned the word Connell culture there. And let's, let's face it, we could spend the next two hours talking about little GA nuances. One of the ones, Mike, that is, is you'll never see a GA referee actually finish the game just in the bill. Like Dublin, like I agree with you. But I actually think he went about 30 seconds 
too much. Yeah. It, while Dublin were actually over under the Cusack stand, building up, the, the game should have ended then. After the 45. Still, after yeah. the 45 was the time to blow it up, really. It, well, that was the stoppage in play. Yeah. But even when he went that far then, but then there almost, Connor seems to be a culture is, ah, look, I'll let, I'll, I'll let them see this attack out. Yeah. And, that, and that's it, you know. Whereas if the clock is there, it takes it out of his hands. It does. I mean, you you know from basketball, it it isn't. And I mean, I think Connor made a great point there. I'd love someone to explain to me why we can't do this in the GA because Mike, you know, so from you many, can you can do it, Tony. That's uh, yeah. that's the thing. But I mean, we're the, we're choosing not to. Yeah, the table in basketball is the classic example. Or even as you say, you can mix basketball and rugby, Connor. Where you said the referee can actually say to his guys upstairs, "Stop the clock." You know, whether there's a foul or there's a scrum being reset, that seems to me to be far easier for the referee to handle than for him to be managing all the other stuff. Yeah, absolutely. No, we don't want to go robbing everything from every other sport because we've seen in recent times, you know, the VAR situation in England, like where the games have become such a stop-start, like you could go to the bar if you wanted to go for the point as the fellas didn't come back in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, but that's, uh, that stop-clock thing, though, in, in the rugby, I think is, is, is really simple and very straightforward. And they're all hooked up to their fourth officials and it's very easy. And everybody then knows exactly what's going on, that it's not just down to one man in the heat of battle who's after running around the pitch for 75, 80 minutes, a referee, and now he's trying to make a decision that's, that's fair to everybody to judge how much time needs to be added on. Like when Rory Began missed that 45, everybody assumed the game was going to be blown up because yeah. he's after giving he kicked it dead which kicked he it dead and, mm-hmm. and now they're starting from a kick out and you're saying surely now it's over and he didn't and a bit like you said there let's give him one more chance to see if they can get a draw out of it you know no again that word comes back into the fray again lads GAA culture um, I know from a young fella um, I used to travel to games I won't say who he is but anybody who knows me would probably figure out with a referee and he had his umpires in the car and the umpires were buddies. And on the way back from matches, the conversation was mainly about the stake that we were going to get that evening after the game because, you know, we'd done our bit. And that's probably 25, 30 years ago. Now, obviously, modern-day referees, the umpires, lads, that they're bringing with them, are if they're not actually referees, they're very experienced umpires. But given what happened in Eden Dark, Mike, yesterday with David Clifford with Fergal Kelly, with his umpires, and there's been an avalanche of criticism. Says, will we honestly ever, are we, are we kind of whistling in the wind here in terms of how do we resolve the umpire issue? Is it solvable? Uh, it, is, it is very difficult to solve when you don't have guys that are, are you know, as qualified as referees are. I mean, do you need two guys in white coats or could you have one referee behind the goals that's looking at everything uh, on both goals? Could you have, you know, instead of, instead of having two guys, have one qualified guy who's really looking at stuff? I, I just think the one we saw yesterday is... is We've seen that for years and years. A guy who's on a yellow uh, and we have a situation where a substitute comes on and you know, whether it was premeditated or not, somehow there starts a, a scuffle. One fell ends up on the floor and we throw out the two yellows. To be fair to the referee, he didn't even see the incident. He, he, it was, he was totally guided by his two umpires who made the decision that both fellas were grappling and, and it's a yellow card each. And it's just, you know, and we've seen that couple for years and years. Like there's very few instances where a David Clifford is really going to want to get involved in that scenario where they're down a point, they've they've got a free in, uh, and there's little time on the clock. He wants to be getting on ball and trying to make things happen. Wrestling with a substitute who's after coming on is not probably something that's high on his you know agenda. Yeah. Um, but if you had somebody who's there, who's qualified, who knows exactly what they're looking for, 
and can say, okay, number 22 white or whatever number it was, he was the instigator. Uh, he's, he's the guy the most deserving of a yellow card and move on. But at the moment, those fellas probably aren't as qualified or as competent as we would like. Now, it's a tough gig. Like, it's, it's not an easy gig to get. And we expect high standards, but we probably don't give them a lot of help in that regard. Uh, and What's then, a tough gig? Umpiring? I being t- been seeing everything in Gaelic football now, Tony, over 75 minutes with 30 bodies on the, f- the pitch going as fast and as hard as they are, yeah. being as sneaky and as cynical as they can be without getting caught. It's a tough gig. But there's, to, seven, offici- there's seven officials around the field. I appreciate remember. that. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate that. But it's, it's still not the easiest thing in the world to see who is the instigator and who is the, who is the guy that's after receiving a bit of a whatever, you know? Like, this guy can be fine and sneaky with a, with a little dig yeah. and you grab him around the neck or something, straight away you're getting two yellows. But he may be the guy that's after hitting you a, a box. So it's, it's not the easiest thing in the world, but they need to do it much better than they are. Yeah, I, I'd agree with Mike there. Look... That particular incident yesterday, I only saw what I saw on the television. But if I was the umper inside, I looked out and I saw two fellas on the ground. Now, I take Mike's point. Why would uh, David Clifford get involved in that? You'd have to say, unlikely. But the umper saw what he saw. David Clifford had already got a yellow on that, sorry. But I suppose some of the stuff that's being missed when you go into incidents like this is... You know, forwards are well capable of doing this. We've seen it at the highest level at all yeah, Ireland level. Yeah, well, I'm representing <laughs> Defenders United here, or whatever you want to call it. But like the reality is, become so tough to defend. No, but I, I want to isolate that from the David Clifford thing. But like I've seen forwards at all Ireland final yeah. level. The last kick out, they're grabbing the cornerback and they're resting them to the ground. Absolutely, and there's no talk about it. Like absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, it, well, it, like that's one of the reasons that, like the black card was so unsuccessful previously because it didn't do anything to dissuade teams from doing that. Whereas now, if you do that with five minutes to go and you get a black, you're off the pitch. Now it's a, re- a proper penalty. But like that's the only scenario where you normally see forwards or half forwards grabbing fellas and wrestling them to the I floor. Know, but if you're if you're up two points next week above against Kevin. Absolutely. You'll tell your fella to take the black. Nah, he wouldn't. Yeah. No, no, look oh, at him. Jesus look God. At him. That's an awful insinuation. <laughs> you know? But is, no. is, there, is, is there any danger, and shoot me down for this, is there any danger that a referee and his umpires can actually use a bit of cop on in that moment? Referee Fergal Kelly goes into his umpires yesterday. Umpire says, oh, two yellows. You'd be hoping, surely, that Fergal Kelly would have said, are you serious, lads? I mean, why, why would... The, why would the carry forward have been looking to actually get a yellow card there? You know, maybe if, and go the thing, the referees in England, if you don't see it yourself, then you can't give it. You've heard this a million times. I know Connor's looking at me saying, don't be quoting the Premier League. But it's, yeah. it's, I think it's a very fair, I think it's a very, very fair basis to use for a referee. Don't give a decision that you don't see. He's, he's missing a lot of decisions in Tony if, if you're only basing it, like what's the point in having all the rest of them there if, if, you've, if you're only going on one guy's set of eyes like I mean every time if you're, if you're depending on one, one guy and he's, got, he's looking this way sure you have no idea what's going on behind you and if you can't depend on the fellas that are there to help you out sure what's the point in them being there you know yeah, but do you, I, not, do you not think like I mean would the boys have got their stake going home last night like from you know do you not think know, that they let down their referee yesterday look I'm I, sure I, I, I'm saying to you that they saw what they saw on the ground, yeah. a flashlight. There's a whole pile of incidents happening in front of them. They're looking left, they're looking right. And this thing started as something very small and all of a sudden there was two guys on the ground and next thing you're given two yellows. You know, it's it's a difficult call. Uh, I don't know. But even, I mean, even outside of that one though, Tony, it's not like... You, you've see, we've seen loads of those. We've seen loads of these double yellow situations where there is, there is, and you see it back in a replay. And there's one obvious instigator in most cases. Like it's two fellas rarely 
simultaneously decide yeah. I'm going to start grappling you there's always nearly one fella that starts it and, and sometimes that's done with an intent of I know, I know you're on a yellow I'm going to get you a card if you put your hands on me it's going to be a double yellow and, and you're going to be off so fellas do have that mindset at times when, when they know somebody's there for the taking the, the thing you'd really love is for the umpires and the linesmen and, and the referees to really try and catch the instigator like like put it make it a, a point of emphasis that I want to book the instigator of the incident who is the guy that made the first contact grabbing a fella or talking in his ear or whatever it is be really like that's what they need to be more vigilant for that and if somebody else grabs him and wrestles like it's just harder it's a much harder penalty on the second guy I think if there's one fella who's the obvious and, and clear instigator of the incident yeah I'm loving I, sorry, I'd love to see a situation. And I know yesterday probably isn't a great example because it was in the final few minutes, Connor. But where you actually did, as Mike says, you see two guys grappling, you don't know who instigated it, and you're actually going over and you're actually saying to them, right, you guys now are under the microscope for the rest of this game because you are now going to be my number one targets to keep an eye on because one of you is starting this and I'm going to get the culprit. I'm not going to, you know what I mean? Yeah. Rather than actually, just pisses me off that it's the worst Worst thing in the GA, the yeah. yellow, yellow. Yeah. yeah, but I suppose referees are producing yellows early here to get control in the game, and we're all saying they should do that. Now, I'm not clear what David Clifford got the first yellow for, but what it's clearly saying to forwards, particularly knows, be very careful about conceding yellow because you're you're then entering the area whereby if the back does want to play with you, yeah, he'll play with you. So you really have to be careful in the first one. Like, is there strange as it might seem? Is there an upside, Mike, for David Clifford in what happened yesterday in terms of advertising this issue, in terms of buying him? Because let's face it, you know, the reputation he has out there as a pure footballer and people obviously want to protect that. Maybe that's something happening like this as early in the league might be the worst thing. Yeah, and like it isn't that David Clifford isn't well able to look after himself. Like he's a big strong boy and he, and he and he knows what it's about. But at the same time, I think now if your umpires on any crew working any game with Kerry, the last thing you're going to want to do is 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 say double yellows here for this fellow grappling Clifford or or anybody. And and you'd hope Tony that it's something throughout the game that like you want the guys that are your most creative and 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 electrifying footballers to be protected and 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 to not be protected well be protected against stuff that shouldn't be happening and if and if somebody is going out there with the intent of nothing more than grappling and making sure you get a second yellow for the purpose of getting sent off if you've already got one then i think those guys should be given a little bit more protection and absolutely any crews now working those games will be a little they'll be a little bit slower to say double yellow here because both boys were grappling i'm just thinking looking at conor <laughs> and saying protection i don't protection. think so oh yeah no but look protection is, is fine across the board for everyone but protect everyone in the same way. The Absolutely. defender. Let's make it fair for the defender too. Because don't tell me that every forward playing the game is an absolute saint. Like there's, as I said to you earlier, there's guys throwing themselves down time and time again, and there's nothing happening with it. And like the other issue I have is, you know, we're talking here about high-profile players. Like if I'm the cornerback from uh, from Clare and I'm on David Clifford, whoever it is. I do expect the same fair play. Yeah, and where I see right. that breaking down a lot is, you know, watching referees over the years, they're over, they're talking to the top star, and, you know, they might call him by name, and they won't, they won't give the other fellow the same credit. You shouldn't be... You mean second-class citizen? Second class, absolutely, absolutely. Like, these guys, everyone needs to be treated the same. And I wouldn't be calling any fellow by name, because the chances are you don't know the 30 fellas in the field. So don't call anyone by name. This is, you have a job to do. Get out there and do it. I think the priority, though, for all these situations, regardless of who they're playing with or what county or what's your name, is 
nail the instigator like get the instigator if there's two fellas refereeing the job the burden of proof on the umpires or linesmen is who started it like I, if I was a referee tomorrow morning and I hit umpires or whatever my question when I go over is who was the guy that started it who threw the first punch who grabbed who first and that's the person then that I'm, I'm giving a yellow card to and, and a lot of the rest of the stuff then would stop if, if defenders or forwards or whoever are doing it know that we're not both getting it's not an even playing field here where I'm not getting him a yellow by grabbing him and and I think like that's got to be their emphasis is nail the instigator first of all and 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 if they did that yesterday Clifford wouldn't have got a yellow from certainly from the pictures that I saw on on TV you know so there's no like let's face it there, so there's no solution as such to the umpires issue lads what we're really saying is incidents like yesterday while you know it peed off an awful lot of people Connor it mightn't be bad because it does highlight that anomaly and it basically, it probably will tidy things up again for a couple of months. These things sometimes have take on a life of their own. As long as it doesn't flip totally the other ah, way yeah, and no, these no. guys get overprotected. Yeah, no, 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 I get that. But I'm, <laughs> I'm saying more, yeah. I'm That's, saying more in terms of... I come the from the defensive school, let's, yeah. sorry about that. No, no, but I'm just, I'm, I'm thinking more irrespective of whether it's the forward or the back is the instigator. I'm saying more in terms of the role of the umpire. Should it actually be diluted? Should it be increased? Should they be trained up? Should they be ex-referees, Mike? I mean, is there anything that can sure, be done Of course, that you'd, you'd love them as qualified or as experienced as you could possibly have them, Tony. Like, yeah. I, I'm not sure if you if you actually even need two guys there. Like, I'd love yeah. to have one guy who's a who's a, fa- a former referee or a current referee or a high-level club referee who's really active behind the goals and he's moving and he's judging and he's... Like, I, I, I don't know <coughs> if you even need to. And somebody who's really tuned into this situation of any of these incidents we're really searching for the instigator you see I don't think that's there I don't think that's the, what they're actually looking for like I, I, I just think they're looking I'd love to know what they are looking for to be honest but you would love that that would be a real change of emphasis for them that whenever they're looking at incidents everything is about finding the first guy that, that got involved and, and punishing that person and, and if you do that it, and regardless of what position they are or what county they are that, that will stop a lot of it if that was their emphasis looking at any incident which at the moment I'm just not sure if it is but in terms of the instigator Mike with respects like the instigator I could give you a show of the next thing you react and give me a clatter of a fist like yeah. you know you yeah. you you have to back off a little too in that situation, like because. Oh yeah, well, I'm, if I, if I'm after hitting, a, if you're after pushing me and I hit yeah. you a punch, I'm the guy that's yeah. getting punished. Obviously, you know. Yeah. I mean, there's levels to all of it, but you you just you just want them being active. Like if they're there on the crew, they they should be active participants in officiating the game, and and it's not just about putting up a flag if there's a score or waving wide. They need to be really vigilant and and watching everything that's going on in their section of the pitch. And looking out for guys that are doing whatever maybe they shouldn't be doing, you know? Mm. And like, uh, I think, you know, the umpires are generally doing a good job. We always catch them when they're doing yeah. one out of a hundred wrong. Yeah, and the point. reality is, you know, if this uh, game had happened in Division 4 yesterday, would we be talking about it? Fair point, because you know what? For all the criticism you might have of the umpire offering an opinion to his referee yesterday... How many times, Connor, have we looked down and actually saw the umpires with their hands behind their backs and you end up saying, what? why are those guys standing there if they're not going to be active? Yeah, yeah and, and look, I, like it's a point, and we're probably flogging it now at this stage, but like, it's an awful, like I said to you to start, it's not an easy gig. Like, you, you, you're looking out here, lads, at these fellas who are six foot something, 17 stone, running at like gazelles around the place. It's not the easiest of thing to trust your eyes and say, 
it was him, it was Larry, it was Tony, it was like you. It's it's not easy, but that's why you'd love to give them as as much help or training and experience as possible, and to make them aware that listen, you are more, you have to be more of a, an active participant here in helping us to officiate the game, uh, and and that that just helps the referee and helps everybody. I still think we need two referees in the field. I think that would help everybody, but we probably don't have enough bodies to to cover everybody. Mm-hmm. And 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 maybe the last point on it is. This incident like that we saw yesterday with Clifford is a high-profile incident, obviously, because it was on TV and the guy that was involved. But this has been going on for this has been going on for years and years. And re- like, how many times have we seen it done? Like in every game, where one fella clearly starts something, but the punishment dished out is two yellows. And it'd be just lovely to move away from that if we could and and uh, and change it. But I'm, I'm equally conscious that big players tend to influence referees in matches. Big matches as you such. You have a big problem. I have big yeah, players. I have. I have because in some cases they're getting a lot more protection than what they deserve. No, and I used rugby as an analogy there where things were going forward. But I thought uh, Johnny Sexton did a, a stunt the last day in terms of a penalty. Uh, and I, he did it perfectly well. He just, excuse me there now, what about this? Like, yeah. You know, and it was so subtle. But it looked an awful lot better than Orfla in GA who'd be in two or three fellas going with him because this is all orchestrated before the match right? if he's anywhere dodgy a week get in there get at him yeah I'm just a note and some, some crowds are better than most of that <laughs> I have to say in fairness talking about players and referees I thought that the Monaghan players actually handled themselves quite well at the final whistle because emotions must have been running high they'd been nine or ten points ahead mm. they were caught at the death and I, they moved towards the referee there at the end and I thought to myself oh there's something and then I don't know whether somebody said call it off, lads, but they all moved apart. Anyway, I want to move on from referees because one of the main reasons we love the Allianz National Leagues is the fact that it feeds Connor our enthusiasm for the summer. We start actually, we like to identify players and teams and we like to think, you know, this guy is going to do something or this team is going to do something. And I'm getting that sense about the Galway footballers. I don't know, I mean, Conor Mike, whether ye are, as I said, I saw them week one on TV. I saw them last Saturday night live. I saw yesterday, because it was on deferred TG Cahar coverage, came back from a bad situation, above and letter Kenny. Mike, is, or Conor, either of you, is it fair to say if we were doing power rankings at the moment, obviously Dublin are one, and then there's a kind of a two, three, four between Kerry Galway, Donegal, and it could go either way, anyway? Yeah, look, I suppose Galway are going pretty well at the minute. I wouldn't read too much into it at this stage. Look, they're obviously playing a nice, attractive style of football and they're going well for Padre Joyce. But, you know, league is still league. And yeah. it's very competitive. And you're right across the four divisions, it's it's been very good. But I just wouldn't get carried away with it. You know, they were going very, very well, you know, going back two years ago. And then they slipped. My understanding is they lost one or two players from that. Mm. So, it's you know, it's early days yet. Mike, I, I, think- I just think they're they're... You can see there's a bounce in him though, Tony. Yeah. That 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 was probably not there maybe in the latter in the last year or two maybe with with, with Kevin, like you know, and uh, and he seems to be getting a bit of a raw deal out of it from from people like and, yeah, it's a bit of the Joe Schmidt thing. Ah, it is, you know, it? and yeah. like he he improved them. I, like I remember they're one of the first games in his tenure when they played uh, Kerry in a quarter final. Maybe it was his, maybe it was the year before he came, and they were absolutely wide open and they were annihilated at the back. Uh, and he made a big difference to them defensively and he improved them, you know, from, from you know, in his time. But I think that, that, like, Galway are such traditionalists. They love this idea of having a real kind of um, footballing kind of emphasis to the way they play. And, 
Uh, and Joyce seems to be like kind of feeding into that, and they seem to be playing a little bit, you know, more. Not that it was it's easy in the first of this, or February, but um, mm. I just think he like with with that emphasis, like and with the way that Galway people are now and the way they're looking, they were looking for a change. Uh, you can just see them being a little bit more energetic and bouncy around the place. And as like the results, funny they played Kerry in Tralee on that that game you're talking about. They stayed down. They had a few beers on that Saturday night. Uh, which is, you know, they were playing the following week, which is, I, I would imagine, was probably a big departure maybe from what they were used to in the previous regime mm. with a game only six days later. Uh, and that kind of stuff just, fellas, fellas like that and it's a nice change and it's a, it's a different kind of a buzz and, and they seem to be responding to, to whatever has been I just Yeah, I just think there's a nice little um, mix there, lads, at the moment into the cocktail. A fact of, as you say, I do think Kevin brought them so far. I think Porrick and John Divoli and the new management team have basically added a little bit of maybe attacking thrust. You have Oak Therard winning the Intermediate All-Ireland. You have the choice now of how many Cora Finn fellas to bring back into the mix. That's an, You know, it's not like they're desperate yeah. now for the Cora Finn fellas to come back in. All of a sudden, because they're going so well, Porrick Joyce can go on the phone and you know to the Cora Finn fellas and says, yeah, well, look, it's up to yourselves when you come back in, lads. But... Yeah, look, I suppose he's he's in a good position from that point of view. And look, I suppose the Carlton thing for those players, they've won three All Irelands. You know, is you know is that carrot kind of big enough now to go for four? Or would you like to be playing with Galway in an All Ireland final? You know, you'd you'd have to think the latter would be the the choice. Yeah, you you'd know? hope the latter would yeah. be the choice because you you mean if you are a Carlton player, I presume. You know, you've won your three All-Irelands with your club, but your ambition surely would be still, you know, Galway wouldn't be, obviously, and to advance that. I think. I'd yeah, and, 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 and like I said, I, I'd say it's probably that little bit more appealing now under under Podrick, like the way they're going. And, and like even look at Shane Welch. I know, he, I know he played well last year, but he looks like a fellow who's who's gone to another level again with with, um, with the kind of the freedom that he's playing with. And, yeah. and Comer's back in there again causing wreck. I, I, I just think they were they were better than they performed last year. Uh, and you'd imagine under, under the lads uh, in Galway now that, that you'll probably see a, a, a fair reflection of, yeah, of how good they are. Johnny Heaney actually lining up as a corner back and for the second week yeah. in a row actually going up and getting a decisive goal yeah, I mean yeah. that's you know that's a bonus in itself we've seen a bit of that just it was it uh, was it uh, meet or two wing backs getting up for two goals that's right as well, two excellent know? wing backs in fairness to them um, Cork three wins out of three in division three See the way I no, see the way I nicely moved beyond Division Two there for the moment, uh, because it's his under his contract that he can't discuss it. But six points out of six, uh, Connor for Cork, and all of a sudden, all the debate a couple of weeks ago about oh could be dodgy, a lot of banana skins there for the Cork footballers almost seems to have melted away. Or are you going to tell me now that it's too early to say that? Ah, uh, look, I wouldn't say. Look, I'd say look, they've had three good wins. You know, six points on the board, nice position to be in, you know, just head down and drive on now because we really do, do need to get out of Division 3. Yeah, and they have tip, I think, away next, Yeah, which could be awkward. I mean, you, you don't know. You mean Tipperary wouldn't like to be beaten at home, like certainly by the Cork footballers? No, and I, like I saw Tip's result yesterday against Derry. Uh, was it 12-6 or something like that? 10-6. Ten, 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 six, and, you know, they finished up with... 12 players or something yeah. like that so you'd imagine if they had all the players on the field they surely would have uh, got a result out of that but uh, look Tip and Cork at this stage tough enough battle 
you know, it's just one step at a time, I think, for Ronan and the lads. Mike, were you here the day Tony McEntee was in I studio? Was. Yeah, he, was. he was basically just laughing at us. We were trying to raise a case that Cork might struggle, not struggle in Division 3, that it wouldn't be plain sailing. And he just basically gave us the back of his hand with his discussion as if to say, stop, lads, stop being stupid. You know, Cork are absolutely going to cruise through Division 3 with the pick. And in fairness... Mike, it is a point in, that Ronan has even alluded to himself, like, and as admitted, he says, like, in fairness, we have to appreciate we have a massive pick. They actually know have got to a point where the squad is actually enlarging, and he's actually even had to say after the game against Down yesterday, unfortunately, we're going to have to trim a few guys. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So, like, you know, things, I things are looking good, and you're saying to yourself, well, yes, they will get out of Division Two in all likelihood. But that should not be the extent of their ambition. I'm saying for 2020. No, but you look at they, they should never be. Should never have found themselves in Division Three. In reality, I mean, with, with you're talking about the pick that they have now. They had the same pick maybe last year, except now you're bolstered by the by the under 21s, obviously, or the under under 20s as they are now. Um, but no, look, like I would never, I would never have said. You know, I, I would have I, I obviously assumed that Cork would have got out of division, but to say they'd cruise through the division, you know, you're you're just teams that you're playing there like Down and, and Tipperary and stuff, they're they're still putting in a huge amount of work and want to make it as difficult as they can and getting as many points as they can. So all of those games, while while it might look like you're they're rolling through the division, they're still playing decent football to get over those teams mm-hmm. because while, you know, from my own experience now, like every team down there, lads, is putting in the same kind of shift that Cork are putting in. So, like to say that you'll just roll over all of them is is, is probably not is not fair on those teams. And uh, like 16, 16 to one eight yesterday, I mean that's a credible enough performance for for down from mm. where they are. Uh, and and they'll get the same from from the lads in Tipperary. Uh, I just don't, in any division now, lads, whether whether Cork are probably displaced by being down there, it's still it's still a fair it's fair going to 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 get three wins on the row below there. Yeah, and I think you know Ronan has made the point himself. Like they're they're the kind of boys to be knocked at now in Division Three in terms of you know if you're going out playing Cork next week, that's this will be a great one to win. Like absolutely, yeah. the oh. game to win in the division. Yeah. So like you get everybody's best shot. Yeah, like every everybody, and as you said again, fitness levels they're on a par now. All of these counties at this stage. So you know, down came down yesterday. Parked the bus, fifteen people mm. behind the ball. Like very difficult to play against. But look, Cork were patient. Got the result at the end of the day, but that's the, the hard grind of you now when you just have to do that. Yeah, no, I, I'm actually with both of you on this in the sense of we can't a month ago be saying, oh, a lot of tricky ones there for Cork. And as you say, every team now is going to consider, and Ronan said it himself, like when I asked him, like that we are the scalp of the, you know, mm-hmm. we are the team that everybody is going to take down. So I suppose we can say that a month ago. And then look back now three weeks later or whatever and say, like, actually, these are all rollover games. So, you know, credit to them. And I, I think the thing that's impressing me and, uh, sorry, impressing a lot of people most is the fact that they're going about their business, Connor, in a very professional way. They're they're playing a particular way. You know, I see Shawnee Potter now dropped in as the sweeper yesterday. They're obviously going to play a plus one behind midfield. They've obviously decided that for the, for this season. And they're looking as if they are building their... He's also, Connor. I know, he had Gore and Kahlomani back in again yesterday. So he's obviously decided, as he promised he would, we're going to give these under-20s their, their head. Yeah, look, I suppose, you know, he, he has changed it around a bit, but not, not in a major way. He is getting to somewhere close to his first 21, I'd imagine. And uh, But look, again, like everything else, you know, we're still in the month of February. There's a lot of 
a lot of games to be played yet and see how fellas will perform under pressure as well because we've been fortunate enough in the three games to date that we've been reason in a reasonable place like I'd like to see one or two of these last games where we would be under pressure so that's mm. that brings us on further again yeah what do you think of Brian Hartnett at midfield have you seen much of him yet yeah look I, I saw him throughout the under 20 campaign last year Brian is a you know he's a, he's a good prospect he's a bright intelligent guy he gets mm. around the field an awful lot doesn't look to be doing a whole pile but he handles the world of ball. Like, and, you know, I think if he continues the way he's progressing, he's going to be a yeah. very good footballer. And he's not, you know, I mean, and I'm not obviously shooing him out of a starting place, but he's a lovely kind of a third midfielder to have because I know that obviously management feel that Killian O'Hanlon and Ian Maguire is their number one midfield. But this guy is getting, like like Damien Gore, like Cahal O'Mahony, this guy is getting a lot of quality minutes in this league. Yeah, and look, I mean, I don't know where he is in the pecking order where he is, in, but he's, he's a bit of a headache now anyway. And that's what you want, is to have a few headaches like yeah. that. But I mean, Mike, in terms of, and I, I'm going to ask it and you can deal with it as you want, like in terms of Division 2, um, obviously you would have liked the momentum, you would have liked the game, yes. I mean, how much of a thing was it that your game actually ended up getting postponed because... If you had actually beaten Cavan, and I know it's if sands and butts and all this kind of stuff, you're five points out of six and you already had a bit of momentum. So is that a kind of a momentum checker or do you just use the week off and say, right, we build again? What's that one about if my auntie had balls? You know yeah, that one? yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, no, sure, you just have to get on with it, really, Tony. Like, we were, we were looking forward to the game and then there was about two inches of, of water on uh, Moore Park, so the game got pulled, but... Uh, it's the same thing I mean the same for Kevin you know we both have the same situation now next week again uh, you win it you're on five but if you lose it you're on three and you're going on to Innes uh, to play Clare the following week and, and now you're worried about you know how, how things can go I, I, I just I think Division 2 obviously is the one I'm stuck in is, is a, just a great league because I think every team is going into every game with a realistic chance of saying we can we can win this game. Yeah. Now you might you might lose the game, of course, but you have a shot at every game of, of being really competitive and coming away with a win. Uh, and I think that's that's the beauty of it. Like that everybody's on a fair enough level level playing field. And wouldn't it be great to have that in the summertime when when everything is going great, as opposed to Storm Kira battering our doors and and calling games off in the middle of it. It, you know what, it reminds me of Division 2. Um, I've given up doing the pools now at this stage, like yeah. the Premier League, because they just broke my heart for too many years. <laughs> but, you know, it reminds me of the old pools coupon where you'd actually see a division and, you know, you'd say to yourself, I'll just avoid that yeah, division. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, there's, yeah, no, yeah. there's no guaranteed home wins. There's no guaranteed yeah. away wins. There's no guaranteed yeah. draws there. It was There, there, there are coupon busters all <laughs> over that Division yeah. 2. I mean, yeah. I genuinely would have said Kildare would have gone up to Armagh, they'd have given it a right rattle, they did nothing of the sort. We had Cullum Collins here last week, Ross Common were under a bit of pressure. I thought to myself, very interesting now to see Clare going up there the weekend, I think Ross, but Ross Common, you know, I won't say they won handy, but mm. you know, they were always in control of that. So it seems to be, as you say, one of those ones where you've almost got to get yourself into a mindset, whereas we are going to lose games, we are going to win games, and we're just going to have to make sure that they don't affect us too badly week on week. I just, farm is not really something that comes into the whole thing. You know, it, just because you played well last week, it really doesn't matter a whole pile the following week mm. because, you know, the team that was playing last week maybe didn't play very well and, and suddenly they get a bounce and, and now they're far better than they were this week. You know, take Armagh, for example, that, that you know, we got a, a great win over Armagh and they go and play Clare or Kildare and, and they put a, you know, a big a big win in Kildare. And 
it just doesn't it, there is no kind of huge correlation between weeks to weeks which is it, it's just making it very exciting and very interesting for everybody and you know that you're on a tightrope every week that if you perform you have a chance of winning yeah. and if you don't perform there's a good chance you'll get beat and and like competition in sport like that's that's a that's a great place to be in to know that most of it is down to your performance obviously you can get beat by a better team but if you perform you're going to have a great chance every week and and if you don't then you you probably won't win and like that's the challenge that everybody is is stuck in sport for and and, and i think that's the beauty of division two at the moment i suppose the home factor is still a big issue though like in terms of you know winning your home games and that's i think you made a case in point there of armagh like very difficult to go up to armagh and, and get two points out of there like yeah. you know they're probably not as good traveling and that sort of thing Roscommon at home again yesterday, I think, weren't they? Yeah. You know, tight games, but invariably the home team comes out on top and those. One of the main reasons, apart from his ability to defend the right of defenders, <laughs> that we wanted... Quite passionately. Conor Cunahan. I don't think anyone else is doing it, so someone must. <laughs> that we wanted to bring um, Conor Cunahan. There was actually two good reasons, Conor, why we were delighted to have you on the podcast today. One is the fact of Cork v. Down at the weekend um, brought some people back. I'm sure many people in Cork football back to this time 10 years ago when 2009 and Mike was involved with Kerry v Cork in an All-Ireland final in Crow Park that a lot of Cork people would still grit their teeth over and feel it was one that got away we'll talk about umpires there but move on (laughs) (laughs) we might move on we might come back to to, to, to poor old Nicholas but um, 2010 um Cork winning an All-Ireland, Connor, and I suppose, you know, 10 years has passed at this stage. A lot of water has passed under the bridge in terms of Cork football, in terms of where it is and where it maybe should be. Looking back now, what are the factors in your head, you know, when you're driving along someday and you might think of something that it flashes into your head? What are the factors you look back on that day that got Cork football to the holy grail got them over the line and it was very much over the line that year to win the All-Ireland I suppose first and foremost you had a, a very good squad of players that had been developed over 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 a number of years you know Billy had them for a time and then you know I came in in 2008 but you know you know at a particular time you just struck a good quality of player a very committed group of individuals you know who had that kind of will to win that you require to win in All-Ireland. I'm looking at the team, which, and again, I think it would be fair to say, Conor, and again, you've slapped me down enough today, but you'll do it again here, I'm sure. There would have been a view with that Cork team that they were um, athletic, you know, that they were a real strong, robust, athletic team, and good footballers was almost second or third in their qualities. But you know what? With the passage of time, of course, which is a great hindsight is a great selector. They say hindsight is the foresight of a gobshite. Yeah, <laughs> the Cork team that day. Just think about it now. Alan Quirk was in goals. Owen Cadigan, Michael Shields, and Ray Carey, Noel O'Leary, John Miskell, Apadi Kassan, Alan O'Connor, and Aidan Walsh, Kieran Sheehan, Pierce O'Neill, Paddy Kelly, Daniel Goulding, Donica O'Connor, Donica O'Connor, I should say, Paul Kerrigan. I mean, when you look then, Colm O'Neill, Derek Cavanagh, John Hayes, Graham Canty, Nicholas Moore, you know, I mean, like that was, it, was a, it wasn't a serious 15, it was a serious, as you said, 21 or 2. 
Yeah, and look, that's what you require to to win in All Ireland is a, is a strong panel of players as such. And but you know you can have all the talent in the world, but if you haven't a commitment, you know it won't get you anywhere. But those guys had exceptional commitment, like yeah. It was an All Ireland that was coming for Cork. I mean, I think that's fair to say. Yeah, look, we'd been there or thereabouts for a few years prior to it. Um, you know, it was a case of do or die, and we probably you know. History kind of has a way of repeating itself. We, you know, we won and we're fortunate enough maybe on the day to win. But I remember we lost in my own time, losing 87 and 88. Mm-hmm. And we were lucky to win 89. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, Fortunately enough, we were able to add one extra thereafter, which we didn't do in our case after 2010. Is, is, it, is it an unwritten rule, Mike? I mean, that you have to serve your time, you know, the old lose one to win one. Or can we actually have a team that actually just dives in picks an All-Ireland and then disappears off the radar. I, I'm not certain you, really you can. It's unlikely you're going to see somebody come out of the blue and, and go win an All-Ireland. But like that, that car team was a, was a serious team. Like, I mean, obviously they won the All-Ireland in 2010, but for, for, for the five years before that, they were, they were around the place, knocking Kerry around, winning Munsters, losing a Munster. You know, they were always competitive and, and like they were probably competing in Munster at that time and, and in, in, in Croke Park when they went out there with a, with a really, really good Kerry team, obviously as well at the time, and and like that in 2010 when when we got beaten by by Down in the quarter final, there was nearly a kind of an inevitability inevitability around about Cork winning that Ireland because they were they were the most they were definitely the most talented team. They had the most athleticism. They had the best squad, uh, and Kerry weren't in their way, and and that was. And and then they they, they they won in All Ireland that year comfortably, and I think in in two. I wouldn't say comfortably, no. But well, it was well, it, it was <laughs> it was not in the last ten minutes, maybe, no, but it was no. it was it looked like a game that was going to go Cork's direction from the start of the game, and in two thousand and nine, it could have gone it could have gone either way up to up to the last couple of minutes as well of it, you know. I'm going to say, Connor, would it would it be unfair if I actually said to you that certainly for large chunks of the two thousand and nine final. Cork actually played better than they did in the final of 2010? Oh, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't disagree with that at all, you know. Um, yeah, no, we did. I suppose we went into the 2010 final, and whether you like it or not, there seemed to be an awful lot of weight in people's shoulders. And despite from a management point of view, you try to say to the fellas, look, lads, relax, get out there, do it. Like, certainly, I know the first half of that game, you know, we, we struggled. We struggled big time, to be honest with you. Mm. And you know, I, I think we were a much better team than down. We got a few chances early on. I think we'd one fairly clear goal chance, didn't take it, missed one or two scores and they got a bit of momentum and all of a sudden maybe doubt started to creep in and maybe we felt look, maybe we're not going to get there. Yeah, because I I genuinely feel that there was I remember I mean, obviously I was working around the team at the time and I remember I just felt that there was a huge weight of expectation and burden because it was almost it was almost now or never that year, and you know that is a huge weight you both know to carry around. Yeah, it's it's massive, and you know I don't know how you shift that. You, you know, don't. as such, you, you, deal start, with it. you deal with it as such. But uh, there's no doubt about it. It certainly was there. You know, I suppose fellas are dealing there day, day to day. They've seen you come through the hard times, and they've come through the hard times with you in terms of defeats and that sort of thing. And all of a sudden, now they're saying, "Well, you know, you've beaten Dublin in the semi final down." Haven't been around with a while. You should get over it, like. But sport isn't like that. I mean, in terms of a leader, and that team, in fairness, looking at it, when you look again in hindsight, was full of leaders. But one of your absolute talisman in Graham Canty didn't start that game. 
how close did he come to starting? How much were you almost prepared to gamble? Because he did come on and it was a huge factor even in terms of getting over the line that he was on the field. Yeah, look, we did discuss it with Graham in the week coming up to the game. He wasn't entirely happy. We weren't then happy. So, look, we kind of agreed then at that stage, look, let's hold him. We knew he was very important to us. And the fact that he didn't start was a major drawback. But the fact that, you know, we were able to bring him in, you know, certainly from the time he came in, you sense there was a change there that we began to take control and there was more composure and that sort of thing. So, look, it, it was critical. It was one of those things that worked out. And when it works out, it's great, you know. Who was man of the match that day? This is uh, a quiz question. Uh, yeah. I, I actually know. I, the well, answer. I know. I know. I know. Daniel finished it up, but would have been a tight call between himself and Donica at the end of the day to yeah. kick some glorious points between them. Yeah. Um, and wasn't there a moment I remember chatting? You and I had a chat. Uh, remember a couple of months later, we met down in Forta for an interview. And was it you had a, a free in the last moment? Yeah. And you were trying to you were, you what were, tell us that story. You were trying yeah, to get it, it dead, bit, wasn't it? Was it was a bit like the biggie one the other night. Kick it dead, like and I told yeah. Golden, kick it dead. But I said, then this is my day. I can do no wrong. And he <laughs> went for it, and it would drop short. And thankfully, the referee blew the whistle. But uh, we might be having a different conversation if play had continued. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and a name that sticks out at me only because you know you remember like the Cadigans and the Shields and the Paddy Kellys and all these Ray Carey. Yeah, Ray was an exceptional cornerback, very quite unassuming fella. Yeah. Probably a guy that didn't get any major attention, but look, did his job very quietly and, and did it very well. Yeah, and the, the thing you love, Mike, about fellas like that is Ray Carey, I don't know, is he still living in Mallow or where is he living at this day? I think he's down there anyway. He was still playing with Clyde last year. Anyway, yeah, so. but the, the thing you love about like a fella like that is like Ray's probably no role more than Abbey. He's probably involved. He's not saying a word. Kind of a quiet fella. And yet, you know, somebody will actually point out, see that guy there? No, that guy actually is an All-Ireland senior medal in his back pocket and is making. And it is, I mean, isn't it, it, it? Ten years on, I don't know, do they have reunions, Connor? Have you had a reunion oh, yeah, with that team? yeah, we get together. We get together once a year now and that sort of thing. So we do. So we, uh, we keep in touch a lot now. And fairness, there's a great bond between that group. Yeah. You know, plenty slagging and what have you. And that, Mike, just briefly going back to 2009, because my recollection, again, you know the way you get moments and you were involved and you will tell me otherwise, but Cullum O'Neill... Early goal, remember near post. Was that I am talking about the right game there? I'm to my head. Yeah, 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 yeah Tommy yeah. Griffin. Yeah, Tommy he, Griffin, yeah. and that's what I was about to say. Tommy Griffin looking like someone who was going to get badly exposed. Said to yourself, like this is this is a nightmare because you know Colm O'Neill, Connor, and, and maybe an instigator, maybe. Jesus, uh, <laughs> uh, I'm switching from the defenders, you yeah. know. I've not moved on from that stuff. But Tommy had a great <laughs> second half. He did, I, he did, after about like for first fifteen minutes, he was you know he was in bother. He was in serious bother, and and to be fair, the management, everybody, they kind of left him right it out, and and he turned it around, and and he put in a massive shift. Like he was probably. Like after the 15 minutes that he had, it, some guys would have been looking at the sideline to see would it be taken off. Yeah. And he finished the game as probably one of Kerry's top three or four players and, and was probably in a shout with man of the match after that. Yeah. You know, he was had a great game. But um, It's easy to forget as well, given his involvement even now, that Tommy Walsh might actually have been the difference that day between oh, the two yeah. teams. Yeah, Is that a fair observation? Oh, yeah, Tommy, no, no, Tommy was, was awesome. An exceptional, at that time, he was an exceptional player. Wasn't he? So strong, physically, you know. Very, very good player. Yeah. He kicked four points that day, isn't he that did. the right one? And at right Like, I remember left. in the second half, and again, I don't have any notes in front of me, just as purely from memory, but Cork 
had taken over Cork were the better side they had the momentum and I think Connor Tommy Walsh kind of kicked two points against the run of play almost that day yeah but like what age was he then 19 he was 19 was he but like he's, he was as big then as he is now. Yeah, he was bigger. He was bigger. Yeah, yeah he was yeah, actually yeah. bigger. Big, they slammed him down over. Yeah, they, they I, rem- did, was, I think it might have been, was it the year before? Um, I remember a game, Mike and Connor, and you'll tell me where, and I, I, I'm i sorry now, Dermot Duggan, for mentioning you here from Island Rovers. Was that 2008? Yeah. Where Dermot was on him. Right. And it was actually freaky in the sense of Tommy Walsh was actually like just swatting him out of the way. Yeah. He was just right. so powerful. At that stage. He won a ball. It was a ball kicked into him. He won it just inside the 45 and he just took off. He turned and he and he left him for dead. He gave somebody a hand off. That and was then, Dermot, I think. Then yeah. he buried a goal with his left leg, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um yeah, he was like like they were that was a that was a serious carry team as well back then, obviously. And 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 those battles with Corkshire were brilliant around that time. But mm-hmm. but Tommy before he went to Australia had had gas and an explosion of pace that that uh that we hadn't seen for a guy that size and that that powerful, you know? Yeah. Um, but they were, yeah, they were some, yeah. they were some great battles. To be fair, you'd wonder what kind of a difference would have made had he stayed around, like. Well, exactly. We'll you were heartbroken. He, had, he went out to very disappointed. Yeah, I could see that. <laughs> we bought the ticket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the ticket. That was the playing ticket that Larry Tompkins oh, never yeah. got. Tell me, Connor, going back to to more recent. I mean, Cork GA brought you in as the football czar, I think they call it. Um, and I remember uh, even at the first press conference, uh, I was talking to Tracy Kennedy, the county board chair, and she was saying it was a great appointment. And I was saying, I agree. And I was, what do you think of it, she said. And I said, the very first question I said, Tracy, at the press conference will be, well, when are we getting a director of hurling in Cork? And sure as God, it was. But the step, certainly, that your appointment, Connor, um, made in the first instance, and then obviously... The fact, and congratulations for your influence over these things, the fact that you orchestrated an under-20 All-Ireland last year <laughs> and under-17 and a minor Just All-Ireland. Keaton Bobby will be delighted with that. <laughs> I wish to God now I could claim credit for that, but unfortunately not. No, but I mean, so as things stand now at the start of 2020, genuinely, I mean, giving a kind of an overarching view, where do you think Cork football is right now? Look, I think we're in a reasonably good place, but look, we've an awful lot of work to do. You know, we've certainly slipped behind other counties. I suppose, you know, you made the point earlier there about 2010 and winning all Ireland. I don't think, you know, we never had a plan for success as such before. Now we're trying to put a plan in place where we put, you know, people in positions, we're upskilling people and that's something. There's a plan, but look, this plan is no fast fix. You know, it's going to take time in terms of, you know, and you're talking more at the development squad level and even at the club coaches to try and improve all, improve all the standards there so that, you know, that lifted up through because I suppose the biggest impact we can make is at the club level because whether you're development squad, you get guys in 10 or 12 times a year, the club coach is the guy that, you know, makes the player and without them and without them having the skill to do it, we're not going to achieve what we want to achieve. Mm. Do you think that, genuine, I was going to ask you a few minutes ago that there are lessons to be learnt from post-2010, because there would be a view that that Cork team probably should have been in at least more finals and maybe win another All-Ireland, maybe 11, 12, 13 kind of thing. Yeah, look, I suppose you'll always look at that and say we, we could have lasted longer, and we probably should. Now, in 11 in particular, we had a lot of injuries mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But I suppose, look, yeah, definitely, you know, a number of fellas stepped away and whatever. 
too many maybe together, as the fellow said, and we lost, you know, that type of leadership in the dressing room that was necessary. You know, we were probably unlucky there. Was it in Brian's time? I think they went to the Munster final and were, were narrowly beaten. You know, small things could have swayed it, but like certainly, you know, our history shows, you know, again, going back to 89 and 90, that we don't follow through. Mm. And I think that's because we don't have a plan as such where we kind of live in the moment. We won one and we win one every 20 years or so. That's great. You know, I don't think that's any longer good enough for us. You know, we need to plan that we're producing top-class players at all levels over a period of time, and then that enhances our chances of success at the highest level. I've noticed um, even small, little, subtle things like um, Cork actually not just being as good as, but beating Kerry at under-20 in the last couple of years. And I'm talking about the John Kearns now as well. Like, I don't know, Mike, you probably mightn't be aware, but there was quite an amount of store last year in Cork, put in beating Kerry down in Clonakilty in an under-20 game. Not for the 60 minutes on the day, but the fact that they got a look at Kerry early in the season. Like, it wasn't just a one-championship you know, one game and you're gone. They saw that they were every bit as good as them. Any inferiority complex that there may have been, even in the young fellas' minds, Connor, was kind of knocked out that day. And you're actually looking at them since. And, you know, every time, I'm just noticing that... The Cork underage, the success has br- seems to be breeding Connor a new kind of self confidence. Is that a yeah. fair comment? Oh, look, I, I suppose it is. But look, credit to the clubs that are producing the players, but also to the people involved in management. Yeah. But I suppose you know one of the biggest things that has turned for Cork football has, and again, I can't take any credit for this, is the minor, whereby the the we'll say Cork and Kerry are divided now in terms of the minor football championship because like we had a crazy situation whilst we were the second best team in Munster we were going out a championship in May Kerry were progressing on until September typically an All-Ireland final and we were Finished. nowhere nowhere yeah. so you know as long as we're the longer we're in championship you know the better we'll be and when we need to be in it longer so um, you know that's that's central to it and, and long may that continue but equally we're under no illusions we still have a lot of work to do yeah but like it's it, it, you know and Mike knows this better than me like obviously it's developing the winning mentality it's develop, developing a winning habit like winning the under 17 and winning the under 20 last year irrespective as you said the change of system may have helped but at the same time that winning culture and winning kind of like almost expecting now to go out and win that's something obviously that you can coach you're nearly building me up now like two cute Kerry whores that you are that's awful stuff to be putting up with he's very very sensitive very cynical so it is so you're basically saying what to me where like in terms of what you've seen and in terms of what's coming through you're saying it isn't just no it's building it future, future every year. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that we're competitive every year, you know, whether it's Kerry or whoever it is, that, you know, we're winning a lot more than what we're losing. Yeah. Mike? Yeah, no, it's like, the, I, from a Kerry point of view, like, there would have been huge emphasis put on the clubs and, and the point you're making about the club coaches. Like, I think, you know, you're talking about developing a winning culture under 17. That stuff 
in my opinion, is near as important as making sure that the people involved with your clubs yeah. are doing a really, really proficient job at developing kids and, and keeping them involved in the game as long as they can. And like ultimately through the squads in and through everything else, you'll get you'll get enough senior footballers. But if your if your club's coaches are, are getting as much support and as help as they can to produce the best kids that they can and make sure that they're still playing the game in ten or fifteen years' time. You, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll, you'll have enough senior footballers after that. This emphasis, and Keith Rickon comes out with it all the time, lads, and he's, like, you know, some of the stuff he's coming out with is is, uh, is laughable, but it's actually, a lot of it is, is really interesting stuff, and, it, and it's on he's point. He's a breath of fresh air. He is, uh, and, but, but you can see the stuff he talks about developing them as people as opposed to just players, like, and, and that's a nice sound bite, but it's, a, it's very difficult for counties to get that into their mentality that even if they never play senior football for you, for whatever county it is, can can we can we improve them as as footballers? Yeah, and then can we give them other stuff? Can can we teach them how to cook? Can we teach them how to do something else so that at least they're they're going to be involved with your your county football team, whether as a supporter or as a player for for a long many years? And the winning at under seventeen isn't isn't near as important as no. people put as much stock in. No, I, I, I well, I mean, under seventeen is actually a year less. I mean, I, I was I'm I'm more interested in the under twenties now, to be honest with you. And I thought. And again, see, you can't. With this fella kind yeah, of giving you this stuff, you're in your 20s, Tony. Like no, no, but I'm just saying it was... the. Ma- I just thought that there was a, enough of players in that Cork side that looked to me that were made of the right stuff for so many reasons. For From Peter O'Driscoll and the you know the difficulty he had early on, from Mark Cronin for pulling them back into things, from Brian Hartnett for his common sense of play, you know what I mean, in terms of doing the right things. That's the kind of stuff like that I'm looking for in terms of a future senior player project. Yeah, and, and again, you won't be able to judge what any... Like if somebody starts a project uh, last year yeah. in terms of, uh, of development in any county, that's not something you can judge in a year or two or three. Like this is... That's a long-term sustainability thing where you're hoping that that your county is going to be competitive at the latter stages of championship in all grades for the next 10, 15, 20 years as long as you're going. But it's very hard to kind of say, oh, this is a definitive end point because we won in All-Ireland. And, yeah. and you know, it, it's it's just a long-term strategy that involves so many different key stakeholders to, to try and get the most out of it. And, and look, Cork, we're probably behind the curve in getting it started, but... You know, it's it's something that's long yeah. overdue in every county. But I suppose you're right, Mike, in terms of you know developing the people and that sort of thing. I suppose we've all come from a school that has been competitive, and I've made a lot of mistakes there in terms of whether it's young fellas playing them, you know, playing the guy under twelve, and and dropping the guy under fourteen. Mm. You know, particularly in the social scene that we are today, G is far more important than it ever was. You know, and I suppose we can't offer a young fella the lure of soccer or rugby where you have a professional contract and that, but we can give you you know, a real quality of life, a rounded education. And by that, I mean bigger than GA. You know, as you said, you know, how are things going in school? How are things going at home? Because there's just so many mental health issues out there now that it's about looking after people. And I think that comes back to you in tons. And, you know, we've been fortunate enough that we have a lot of good people involved with that. But again, plenty of room for improvement in it. Your average, I'm sure... Connor, there probably isn't an average week, but in terms of your role now and, and in terms of your kind of, mo- I was going to say Monday to Friday, but it's obviously anything but Monday to Friday, give us a kind of a typical week in the role that you have with Cork football. Well, I suppose, you know, on a daily basis, you're, you're talking to people in uh, development squads and that's how you're linking in, but, you know, briefly with the seniors under the 20s and, and the minors and that, you know, I have a meeting with a club now tonight, like, you know, uh, an urban club that's, you know, quite a big population you know we've major challenges 
all over the place in terms of participation within the GA. The most recent report said we lose 59% between 12 and 20. You know, that's a massive challenge. And some of that has been down to silly stuff, as in the likes of the situation I explained where the under-12 players played under-14. Shouldn't happen. Like, you know, this winning mentality, this manager thing, the culture that has been to the detriment of the GA in the mm. sense of every fellow wants to be the next Mick O'Dwyer or, or whoever it is. And, you know, we really, really need to attack that as a, an association as such. And look, I must say, you know, I'm learning in the job. I wouldn't have been as strong about this prior to coming into the job, but I do see the damage that it has done. You mean, just to explain that, Connor, you mean in terms of under-12s playing up and taking the spot of a genuine under-14? Exactly. You know, I mean, what's, th- what's that saying to that young fellow 14? Yeah. Forget about it. Move away. Equally, in terms of, you know, clubs with big populations, second teams, are we looking after them, mm. you know? But a big challenge for us and for every organisation is the volunteer. The guy on the ground is coming in there, taking those under-12s, under-14s, twice a week, committing to that, like, you know, we need we need more of that. And that's, that's challenging enough, too, because, you know, parents can be, you know, difficult enough at times. vast majority of parents are fine, but, like, <laughs> we do need to respect what people are doing for the association yeah because I mean I presume like there probably wasn't a specific job spec with this Connor was there I mean I presume you've kind of almost shaped the role yourself you you know some people might envisage you not knowing what you do as kind of like oh well he's just making sure that the you know the 20s and the seniors are playing in the same playing style but that's your you you have a more holistic oh look absolutely I mean that's that's just the, the 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 top side of it as such. But the more important side is is the participation and what we do on the ground. Because if we don't get it right on the ground, you know the top won't happen. And and like again, I'm talking about culture and GA culture. Massive change there in terms of the attitude, the way we deal with young fellas and that sort of thing going forward. Because you know someone said to me there, uh, you know, and I and I may have said it in the past. Well, in our day we didn't do that. And some fellas said to me, "You'd shag all else to do." And he was probably right. Like mm-hmm. you know, we were in a different place, a different environment now, and we need to meet those challenges in whatever way we can. Yeah, it's it's funny you should say that because even in my own club, um, uh, and I'm involved just with a, a group, a great group of under 15s this year. But in fairness, the the approach genuinely, and it's coming from the manager, has been, and it is a change, but it's a positive change, has been less about winning. And more about let's make sure we get 20 of these guys still playing when they leave minor. And I suppose people talk about success in the bigger scheme of things. And for you, you know, if you've 30 guys starting here now in February training, to me, success is bringing 28 of them come next September, October. Mm-hmm. That's success, and and a hundred percent right. But that's a hard sell, like that's a very oh. hard sell, and that's not just that's not Cork, like that's the whole country, and that's when you're talking about the issues facing the GEA. And there has been a starting to be a kind of a change in that idea of what is real success like for underage football or underage sport in general. Uh, but it's a slow burner. like, And that's why when I'm talking about something sustainable, a development plan, this is like 20 years. Like It, it, it could take 20 years for the GA where we have all coaches involved that are saying... It's not about winning my under-14 county championship. It's about making sure as many of these fellas are still playing, our girls are still playing the next year and the next year and the next year, and that we're, we're, we're developing our community, uh, you know, in terms of the GA as opposed to 
the fellas that aren't great will go away playing soccer, they'll go playing something else and we'll lose them to the game because I'm playing an under 12, to your example, instead of an under 14 who's not as good and sure, where's the under 14 going to go? He's gone the following week and he's not telling his mum or dad I'm not going football because it's not crack. We started so with, with kind of one, one sort of GA issue, which is the clock, the referee, uh, the umpires, and in fairness, we've bookended it nicely with a, a very different, uh, bigger, broader, more far-reaching issue for the GA. Listen, great chat. Conor Cunahan, million thanks for coming in. Mike Quirk, um, I appreciate you taking time out from your uh, duties. Uh, it falls upon me to wish you the very best for the rest of the league campaign and we'll have you back in the pod for the summer and the championship Allianz supporting all 32 counties through the Allianz leagues Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime round out Mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market